Mr. Hinch, welcome to That's Life yet again. Hi, Tony. I've been watching on television, fascinated by uh, this character, Sirhan Sahan. Now, it's a name that you never forget when you hear it, but basically because it's a double name, but uh, also because he was was, um, famous or infamous because he was the man who pulled the trigger in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, which killed... Robert F. Kennedy, and I was only young when that happened, but I remember it clearly, like it is yesterday. Not only Senator Kennedy, oh my God, Senator Kennedy has been shot, and another man, a Kennedy campaign manager, and possibly shot in the head. I am right here, Rayford Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. That's it, Rayford, get it! Get the gun, Rayford! Okay, now hold on to the guy. Hold on to him. Hold on to him, ladies and gentlemen. Hold him. Hold him. (coughs) We don't want another Oswald. It was one of the most extraordinary and painful, most painful times in our history because uh, the assassination of Robert Kennedy by Sahan Sahan came only two months after the, the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King was killed... April 5 or 6, and uh, Bobby Kennedy was shot June uh, 5 or 6. I covered that story, um, uh, and, but I, I wasn't, obviously wasn't in the kitchen at the Ambassador Hotel when Sahan Sahan murdered Bobby Kennedy, um, and he, he didn't die immediately. Um, he you was were shot in the, the ballroom, though. Yeah, we were in the ballroom, which is a long way, long way in the kitchen. Uh, the Ambassador Hotel was a huge, famous hotel in, in, in L.A., um, and it was a lot, he just, ironically, it was packed, obviously. Um, Kennedy was on his march for the presidency or his presidential campaign. And the last thing we, I remember him saying, and I'm paraphrasing, he said something like, okay, in, the, in that Boston drawl that he had, he said, okay, now on to Chicago. My thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. And he says, now on to Chicago, and everybody's going crazy. And then they, he's ushered out. He didn't come through the ballroom, didn't come near us. We were some feet away from him, but he well, was ushered I wanna, by... I want to establish just how close you were, Darren, because you were working as a journalist, so you yeah. were in the media area, and I guess they would have put you aside in some sort of uh, area. Well, but we were, we were, would have been about, about 15, 20 feet from him, I suppose. All right. Yeah. And uh, when you look at the footage, which you see sometimes, well, you can go on YouTube and see it. Uh, in relation to him, where were you when he oh, said those 15, words? Probably 15 feet away. To I his suppose. left or to his right? Or? To his, uh, we were, let me think, uh, to, to, he was to my left. Right. Yeah, to my left. Um, ironically, I've talked before about this, so I won't go through it again. But then I then covered his, covered his. Uh, I'd, I'd seen him and be walking right behind him at the funeral of Martin Luther King only two months before, and I've mentioned how how slight he was. I mean, Bobby Kennedy was about six feet tall, but he was ti- funny. To say he's tiny. He was very slim, you know. Um, and uh, I noticed that when I saw him walking out, slumping his shoulders after people screaming, Barbie, Barbie, when, uh, as we left the funeral of Martin Luther King in, in uh, the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I, I remember seeing him earlier than that. I, I, I took my secretary down to Madison Square Gardens where Bobby Kennedy was giving a rally. And uh, I thought I was gonna get, she was gonna die um, because 
suddenly the crowd, as crowds can do, suddenly some surge started somewhere and the people were so packed in to see Bobby that I had to put, actually I hardly knew the woman, I had to put my arms around her and lock my elbows out to give her some breathing space because when you get crowds crunching, that muscle power can kill people as it has done at soccer riots in the UK. It's, mm. an, it's an amazing amount of, of physical pressure. Uh, when, and if people go down and they get trodden on, then, then you're gone. But I, that's my memory of that was, A, how slight he was, and he's giving one of his normal speeches, um, etc. But I, I, I'll get back to uh, the ambassador. But let me tell you one funny Bobby Kennedy story. I was, um, I was covering him in somewhere in the Midwest, I think it was, it was Cleveland or somewhere like that, and his people had a code that, the, that he used to say near the end of his standard speech, because he'd given different cities, he used to say, as George Bernard Shaw once said, right? As George Bernard Shaw once said. And we're at this speech he's making in, in, in a shopping centre or somewhere <laughs> in the Midwest, and it suddenly started to piss with rain. It was absolutely pouring down. And uh, Bobby Kennedy <laughs> said, as George Bernard Shaw once said, Everyone head for the buses. <laughs> and we did because we were all getting drenched. Everyone head for the buses. Um, he was extraordinary. I, I was, even now, I was watching last night the, 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 the awfulness of the, uh, the suicide bomber in Kabul and uh, President Biden was giving a speech about it all. And uh, if you look over his shoulder at most of his speeches from the Oval Office, there's a bust of Bobby Kennedy behind him. Yes, I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. Did you he, ever he, go I to mean, the um, Kennedy compound? Hyannisport. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. I went, went, I've been there, but not inside. Been outside. Uh, we I mainly uh, a couple. Of, well, I was up there covering. Um, sorry for that noise. I don't know where it's coming from. Um, I, I was up there covering Teddy Kennedy and the Chappaquiddick case because he fled to Hyannisport when. Uh, when uh, after Mary Jo Capickney died, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a fascinating place, and uh, the, the whole family for decades used to play um, touch football there. And you see pictures of their and their youth of John Kennedy and Bobby and Teddy and, and their partners and wives. Um, it, it was an extraordinary place to visit, but we never got inside. It, it's, it's, a, it's a house that's on the water. Uh, but with great big lawns at the front of yes. the house leading down onto the water. Um, uh, what do you know about And it's on an, an island, is it? Martha's Vineyard? Am Martin, I, have I got um, that right? Um, uh, I'm not, I can't remember now. Um, I think Ch uh, Chap um, Hannesport... No, it was, it was in, it was in, in Massachusetts. Um, I know that Martha's Vineyard was where they, they used to do all the yachting, uh, and that's where, I mean, Chappaquiddick, with the bridge which, which, on which Teddy Kennedy killed um, Mary Jo Capickney, that was on Martha's Vineyard, that is, that is true. But I, I've got a memory lapse here. I'm not sure if Hyannisport, I don't think it actually was. I think it was on the mainland, certainly Massachusetts. Right. And that weird uh, Kennedy sort of accent, uh, which Boston Bobby Kennedy had, yeah, it's a Boston accent, and uh, it's, uh, it's 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 it, where does that come from? Well, I don't know. It's very attractive. I mean, Boston was the they were the founding fathers. That's where the uh, uh, that's where the the, the 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 dissident English people first rocked up was in Massachusetts, and so their English got bastardised 
but not into a, a real American. It's not an American twang. It's not a. Uh, it's certainly. I mean, you listen to Southern accents, and a Southern accent is so different to what I used to call Boston soul. Uh, it, it, it's it's incredible that 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 they used to call them the Boston Brahmins, as in Brahmin bulls. You know those those exquisite bulls, Boston Brahmin Brahmins they were called, and that's where that sort of accent um, developed. Well, I thought maybe it's a mixture of the Irish and, uh, you know, English and then what they got in, in America. Well, that's probably true. Cause, I mean, the, the Irish were a massive part of, of Massachusetts and the Kennedys <laughs> and the New York police force. Because John Kennedy went back to uh, Ireland, you know, the hometown where, I don't know, his great-great-grandfather came from okay. in the 1850s. Uh, yeah. Tony, every American president goes back to Ireland. Even Richard Nixon went there. Even, they all claim some sort of Irish ancestry. <laughs> the, 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 the Kennedy one was legit, I'll grant you that, yeah, but they all end up in Ireland at some stage. Yeah. Well, we're talking about that because Sirhan Sirhan is uh, still alive. This was a, a guy who was a young man in 1968 when he pulled that trigger. Mm. In that uh, in that kitchen area, uh, he's now. Uh, I, I thought he was older, but he's, he's seventy-seven. Yeah, that, that works. That, that, that those numbers work. Look, if you listen back to, and it's worth, and because he's been he's been granted parole, but hasn't got it yet because it's got to go to the board of the governor of California, and that could take another three or four months. It was impressive that two of of Bobby Kennedy's sons uh, gave uh, statements in, in, in favour of his parole because he's done more than 50 years jail. Um, they actually said he should be paroled, um, but there are, will be restrictions. Uh, if you listen to the, the tape, which has been played a lot since since that news broke, you'll hear somebody yelling, grab the gun, grab the gun, Rafer, Rafer, grab the gun, grab the gun. And the Rafer was Rafer Johnson, a former football star who became a minister, a, a, a religious minister. And he grabbed the gun got his thumb between the trigger and, and, and the chamber so no more shots could be fired. It was quite extraordinary. So, so that Sir so that Sirhan Sirhan could not shoot any more bullets into Bobby Kennedy. And Rafer got his thumb between the, the trigger and, and the chamber. Um, I, I, by coincidence, years and years later, I was on a plane flying across the US and the person next to me, and my fellow passenger, was Rafer Johnson. And he's a most amazing man, and he he told a great told me a great story about that night. I mean, how the the, the chaos in, in in the kitchen at the Ambassador Hotel was just just awful. And uh, and Bobby Kennedy was still alive. They took him to the hospital. He died next day. Um, it just I mean it just destroyed America. They couldn't couldn't believe it. I mean he was you know it was like his brother had died only eight years, been murdered only eight years before. And here's the second one. And the third brother, Joseph, had died on the last day of World War II in an aeroplane crash. What and do we know it, about Sahan Sahan? What I know is he, he's Palestinian Christian, uh, but the family uh, must have gone to the United States... Uh, when he was very young. Yeah. When he was Look, young. All, all I do know, he became a zealot. Um, I've seen, when I was covering the case, I saw the book and the evidence... Um, he wrote in, a, in an exercise book again and again and again, maybe 50, 100 times, RFK must die. RFK must die. RFK must die. And as it's coming out more and more, he gave some interviews in later years. 
he was a big supporter of, John, of Robert Kennedy, but when Kennedy said that he supported Israel and supported the supply of 50 jets, I think it was, to Israel to fight the Palestinians, that's when he turned and he became, he became a Palestinian zealot and, uh, and he decided that, that Kennedy had to, had, to be, had to be killed. Well, if he's to be released, and it looks like he will be, he's going to live with his brother. So he has a brother who lives in Pasadena in California. Uh, and uh, when I saw that, I, I just did a bit of a Google search and um, there were videos of his mother going to visit him in jail in the days after he was, uh, you know, arrested, convicted and jailed. Uh, and she spoke English very well too, so... Um, it was, look, 50 years for an awful crime, but 50 years, he, he, sh he should be released on parole, I, I think. I mean, he's done 50 years in jail. His whole life has been spent virtually in jail. It was the most awful crime and, uh, uh, and, and, and a mad crime and political assassinations are always disgusting and heinous, but uh, 50 years punishment, you know. A long time. It's a long time and uh, the man's in his late 70s, so, I, yeah. I, and the fact that, that Bobby Kennedy's sons have, um, have, have agreed agreed he should be released is, is very magnanimous and I think very, very religious. When I went to Washington in 1988, I went to Arlington National Cemetery and that's where John F. Kennedy's buried up on the little hill. Mm -hmm. And just to the left of him, maybe 20 metres, the length of a cricket pitch, and around the corner behind a tree, there's a little stone plaque in the uh, grass. That's all it is. And that's where Robert F. Kennedy is buried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Trivial pursuit. Yep. John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy. What did the F stand for on both their names? Uh, Francis. Robert was Robert Francis Kennedy. You're right. What about the first one, John? Oh, gee, John F. Kennedy. I, I can't tell you. Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald. That's right. Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Ironically, speaking of JFK, just brought back a memory, Tony. I covered the attempted assassination of George Wallace. I've actually covered three or four now. Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford. You're the assassination expert. <laughs> Bobby Kennedy, uh, George Wallace. Yes, four assassinations or attempts. Um, and George Wallace, in Laurel, Maryland, it happened. And uh, I raced down from New York. I wasn't there when it happened. I raced down afterwards. And when I got there, his wife was still wearing a yellow dress covered in blood. And it reminded everybody of when Jackie Kennedy had a pink dress on covered in John Kennedy's blood and they offered to change her clothes. She said, no, let the world see what the bastard did. Just such a horrible thing, isn't it, assassination? Can you imagine yeah. if it happened nowadays? You, 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 you get to know these people. Well, it, had, it, happened, it happened in Haiti only a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, um, but, you know, I'm talking about Australia or... Because uh, there was an assassination attempt against Arthur Caldwell here. There was an assassination attempt by a young man in Mossman who shot through the windscreen with a shotgun. That is true. Look, you, 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 you're on the right theme here. Um, I had a, an argument with my staff... Uh, when there was a, an attempt, somebody threw an egg at um, Anning, remember? Uh, Fraser uh, Anning, yes. Yeah, was Fraser a, a young man. Uh, a young man threw an egg. And, 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 and my staff sort of made light of it. And civil liberties and, you know, I said, and I went mad. I said, hang on, 
Hang on. What if it wasn't an egg? What if it was a brick? What if it was a bullet? What if it was me? And it, it sort of quieted them down a bit because throwing an egg at a politician, they're doing their job. You may hate them, you may, but just vote them out. That's, that's your weapon. That's your weapon. Vote them out. But, but to, to throw something at a politician, uh, to throw bottles at cops, to throw flares at cops, to throw things at anybody is wrong. But it, with a political thing, the only crime is that they have a political, political view that you don't have. You know, and... And we've seen, you said Arthur Corwell, uh, he, he was shot. That's the, I think, the only one we've had in this country, I hope. Mm. Well, we've had things thrown. I think Malcolm Fraser had uh, stuff thrown. Oh, yeah. Well, an egg was thrown at John Houston and he caught it. I was I was covering um, covering Bathurst once, not Bathurst. I was covering Bathurst, and I was on the podium with with the winners, and Ford and Holden had a huge, you know, shit fight for decades between their fans over which is the best brand. And I was on the podium. I can't even remember who who had won, but suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I saw something coming. I stuck my hand out in front of his face and caught a full beer can. Well, I, I'm laughing, but if that had hit you... It would uh, hit him. No, it wasn't aimed at me, it was aimed at him. Yeah. If it hit him, it could have broken his nose oh, or, or given him brain damage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, look, I mean, I mean, you know, all those missiles, they're just... I mean, at the Gold Coast, I remember, uh, you know, the schoolies uh, go up there and uh, they throw things from the balconies of uh, buildings high up, even eggs and stuff like that. Now, if they hit you from some distance, you're in big, big trouble. Do you know that if I... I knew this when I was living in skyscrapers in New York. If a nut falls from the 15th floor of a skyscraper mm. and hits you on the head, it can kill you. Mm. Be like a bullet. Yeah, because it's, 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 I don't know the mathematical details, but it's travelling at such speed and such pace and such force, it could kill you. Well, New York well, well, a happy topic to be off on, okay. <laughs> Darren, let's talk about uh, the situation we find ourselves now in. We, we don't really want to talk about COVID, but I guess we, we, we need to. I mean, Australia now is at a pretty difficult situation. I mean, what do the leaders do? What do we do in Victoria? We've got... We, we locked down early, but that, that, that hasn't uh, snuffed it out. The numbers seem to be getting uh, bigger and bigger every day, but we can't keep living like this. No, well, look. We, I mean, we went from we, we were we were the, we were the leper state last year, and then we're looking good this year. And New South Wales is looking bad, and now our numbers have gone from eighty a day, seventy a day to eighty a day to ninety a day. Um, I, I agree, we can't get living like this. And I think the premiers and the prime minister have decided we've got to find a way out. There's two things. I'll, my my view on this: we do have to. Uh, I wasn't quite sure of the PM's analogy about some movie and, and caves and things like that. But we can't go on for, for months and months and years like this. But how much do we accept? Oh, I got reprimanded on Sunrise when we were talking about this recently because I said if, if when we open up, and it's not if, it's when, we will open up. When we open up, what if the death toll rises to 25,000, as one report said recently? Um, can we cope with that or can we handle that? And I was reprimanded for being doing scare tactics, but it could happen. Um, my fifth theory is we will open up 
uh, when we get to 70 or 80 percent, probably just 70, just over 70, we'll open up but slowly, uh, safely, the Prime Minister keeps saying, open with safety. Um, but I think get used to this idea, Tony. Um, Non-vaccinated people will be Australian lepers by Christmas. Now, I know of personal cases with friends where families are already rupturing and friendships are rupturing over vaccinated and non-vaccinated, um, in which I know of a family where sisters are fighting because one sister says, and I think quite rightly, I am not sharing the Christmas table with you and your kids if you're not vaccinated. I have a friend who's a singer and she has got vaccinated, but she didn't want to because the venue owner said, if your band's not vaccinated, you're not singing here. And to me, that makes sense. I mean, how do you explain as an owner to your staff, I'm putting you at risk because this, this bunch of musos won't get vaccinated. So get used to the fact, and, and Gladys Berejiklian has already hinted at this, you're gonna have, you're gonna have um, COVID apartheid in Australia. I believe this. That you you reach a stage where if you're not vaccinated, you won't be able to go to a restaurant, you won't be able to go to a concert, you won't be able to go to the tennis, you won't be able to do this, you won't be able to do that, and it's your call. Well, worse than that is, if you're not vaccinated, you may well die. That's true. Or, or even worse than you dying, be a selfish prick, you may make your mother die. Uh, I, I shake my head. It's just stupid. But, but you look on the internet. I, I get sent stuff all the time. Look, 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 look. I had an argument with, with a friend of mine about this because she's a friend of Pat Cash's. Pat Cash has come out with the most disgusting stuff on, on Facebook about vaccines. He's anti-vaccine, right? And he has the, a gall, and I read a, read a very good column, a real teardown of Cash uh, by Peter Fitzsimons uh, in, in the Fairfax Papers. Pat Cash has said, look, and he's taking that stupid thing, I can't remember its name, the, the horse... Um, uh, that they've been taking in America, yes. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the horse thing. Or something. That, uh, yeah, and the thing, Vestam, and the, that, that's, that supposedly stops um, um, parasites in horses. Uh, he's been, he boasts, he takes it all the time when, when people are warning he shouldn't do it. But he, what annoyed me more than that, he's entitled to take whatever he likes, pour down his throat. But he said, I'm very fit. So I don't need to be vaccinated. And I thought, hang on, you, know, you may be fit. What, you, maybe your mother's not. Maybe your grandmother's not fit. Maybe you take it home and you give it to your kids. It's just so selfish and so blinkered. I'll reach a stage now with one friend who's an anti-vaxxer. I, I hang up the phone. I won't talk. I won't. I'll, on my personal Facebook page, I've had to ban all COVID comments, pro and con even ones in favour of vaccination. I just wiped them all. I said, this page of mine is, as we mentioned once before, this page of mine is to talk about Goya walks and fruit and vegetables and my garden and that, and it's, 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 it's going to be a COVID-free page from now on in. Well, I don't know whether you caught up, but in the United States, there's a right-wing radio talkback host. Uh, Valentine was his surname. I've forgotten his first name. He was an anti-vaxxer. In fact, he, he, he scoffed at uh, COVID, saying, you know, it wasn't a serious thing and whatever. Uh, last month in July, he got sick. And he was still saying how, you know, it wasn't a big deal and whatever. Last week, he died. In these last couple of days, he broadcast to his audience and said, uh, get vaccinated. <laughs> well, that's a bit like many others. I remember a pastor in the US did the same thing. Look, it really angers me. I shouldn't even mention his name. 
but see a photo on Facebook, on Twitter of the chef, Pete Evans, wearing a virus fake um, T-shirt. Uh, and I read a story, an article, about a, a, an intensive care unit nurse. And she said, for people to say it's no worse than the flu, come and spend a day in ICU. She said, we've got, IC, we've got ICU nurses sign on for eight hours and there for 12 to 15 hours in a stretch. It takes us in ICU with a COVID patient up to six nurses to turn somebody over because we have to turn them on their backs and on their stomachs every couple of days. A lot of our ICU nurses, especially in New South Wales, have been seconded to um, vaccination centres. And we need them back here. We need them in ICU. In ICU, usually, uh, you can be put into an induced coma, etc., etc. But I'm told, by reading all this stuff these nurses are saying, is that... um, ICU nurses have to spend so much more time with a COVID patient because they are literally struggling to breathe. We have here in Victoria a report that uh, has come out, leaked out, about the effect the lockdowns are having on teenagers, Darren. Uh, Apparently 340 teenagers a week have been admitted to uh, mental uh, hospitals or hospitals uh, because of mental health emergencies. Uh, This is a report that was marked confidential and not to be uh, released. Uh, Two questions. First of all, uh, should a report like that be hidden? Number one, it should have been released. And number two, um, I'll be a bit careful here because I don't want to invade people's privacy, but in my small circle, I know of three families with teenage girls in the family who are suffering mental problems, um, even suicidal problems. It is a massive problem in this country and the saddest thing is going to get worse because even after we all get out of lockdown, what's happening to kids right now will stay with them for a long time. I mean, Think back to your childhood, to my childhood. Suddenly, you've got children who for weeks, for months, don't have any... Zoom's not the same thing. Have no physical relationship with your mates. You don't play sport with your mates. You don't keep forming new friends and friendships. When you're a teenager, 16 or 15, 16, 17, that's when you have your first love affair. You know what? They're not having that. Um, and and, And long COVID... Is, is a huge, huge problem which hasn't got the exposure it should have. This is going to affect our teenage generations for a long, for many years. Well, then comes the question, you know, we, we've all agreed, and I've agreed too right up until this point, that you need to lock down because you need to prevent massive deaths. You need to prevent the the, the uh, risk of uh, hospitals being overrun by COVID patients. But... Mm. I'm asking this, putting it out. I'm not saying I agree with it. Are we are we protecting elderly people at the expense of young people? Or have we been doing that? Um, a, no. B, it's offensive. C, an old person, just because they're old, doesn't mean to say their life isn't worth living or saving. Um, the fact is true that younger people are getting affected more they don't get infected as badly, apparently, we're so told, but that's almost a triage system you're suggesting in your question because it's like, oh, they're over 70, they've had a life, so let them go. Uh, and that's that's not the way. I mean, tell that to their grandkids. Uh, I, I, 
what we have to do is just keep pushing vaccinations, get to 70%, get to 80%, and then make things easier to, to lift things. I mean, I love being in lockdown like anybody, but if we can get to that stage and you have to accept the fact if you're not vaccinated, you're going to be discriminated against, and that is going to happen all over the country. I mean, you've already have states like WA and Queensland are sort of um, treating every other state like like lepers. Uh, we will have to live with, with some deaths and some illnesses, but the biggest scare at the moment, to my mind, in, especially in Victoria, is the growing number of what I call wild cases, cases where they're out there in the community in a different suburb, say Port Melbourne or whatever, and they can't find the link. That's the scary part. Well, we'll obviously talk about this into the future because it's not something that's going to go away easily and uh, these are issues that are not going to be solved easily and it's going to be about judgment and um, political judgment as well. Uh, Mr Hinch, thank you very much for your time again and we'll catch up next week. We shall, but also I'm very pleased we've actually had a chat today and we didn't get the vaccines and, and COVID till the very end. It's been, <laughs> been very entertaining. Thanks, mate. Ciao.